trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Compare that, if you will, to Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul, having just reviewed our salvation in Christ, access into His grace through faith, he says, uh, we also, Romans 5, verse 3, we also rejoice in our tribulations. Because um, we know that tribulation produces uh, endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So this is our focus this morning. Counting it all joy in the midst of various trials. James 1 verse 2. Counting it all joy in the midst of various trials. Now we need to say at the outset that not... Certainly not God, certainly not James, not I, not anybody, really. We're not trying to make light of any trial. Uh, When you're in the midst of a trial, it's hard to see the big picture of God. I think God understands that. We all understand that. James, in his book, in James 5, 13 to 18, he actually encourages us to pray for those who are in the midst of of the trials of sickness. And then even in James 2, 14 to 17, James encourages us to, to notice those who are in the midst of a trial of just being in need, daily needs, and, and um, be sure to act on your faith and, and help them uh, as well. So we're not trying to make light of any trial. But at the same time, we have a very strong teaching here when James says, Count it all joy, my brethren. When you fall into diverse trials, different trials. This is one of those emphatic statements where you just kind of shake your head. Count it all joy every time. Count it all joy, Lord. It reminds you of the emphatic statement in Philippians 2.14 where Paul says, Do all things without murmuring. Do all things without murmuring. You think everything, Lord, everything we do without complaining, yes, Or like Ephesians 4 and 29 where Paul says, Let no corrupt communication ever proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt communication ever out of your mouth. And Jesus even says in Luke 14, 33, that if you're going to be His disciple, then you've got to renounce everything that you have. You've got to renounce all that you have. If you're not willing to do that, He says you cannot be my disciple. And so... That leads us into really our first main idea when we think about counting it all joy. Our first main idea is God's high expectations of us. We need to review God's high expectations of us. What does God expect of us who follow Him? Well, of course, He expects full devotion to His will and to His purpose. And we can go everywhere in the Bible, front and back, showing that idea. But you know that whatever is contained in Jesus' will, we are to do it with our whole heart. The Lord says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's interesting that in Luke 5, 27-32, that when, when Matthew or, or Levi was called by Jesus and met Jesus and became impressed with Jesus, that, that he forsook all, it says. And, and left and started following uh, Jesus. 
So that's what God expects. He expects full devotion uh, to His will and full devotion to the purpose of Jesus. We know what that is according to Luke uh, 19 verse 10. To seek and save the lost. And if the head of the body has got that purpose, then, then the body also has that purpose, right? It's automatic. And since Jesus being the head of the church or the body has the purpose of seeking, saving the lost, then we don't have to guess what our purpose is. That's also our deal. It's also our deal. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, in verse 2, the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So we don't have to guess on this. This is really the 300-year approach, right? This is the 300-year approach. In other words, you sit down and think, okay, 300 years from right now, what's going to be the most important thing? 300 years from right now, you don't have to go that far. What's going to be the most important thing? All right, first, are you going to be in heaven? And, and how many people did you bring there with you? And probably both of those things have to be present in order for you even to be there. Okay? So you've got to be 300 years from now, am I going to be sitting in heaven surrounding with folks that I have helped come and, and meet the Lord there as well? Right. And so, the devotion to God's will. Now, here's the question. When you, when underneath this idea of God's expectations of us, here, here's the question for our study today. Did the early followers of Jesus, did they fulfill God's expe- expectations even in the midst of trials? That's the question. Or did they come to a point in a trial or a circumstance where they decided, well, I can just set aside the will of God for a time until I get over this trial and then I'll get back to it, to it later? Well, we know the answer. If you ask the question, did, did they fulfill God's expectations even in the midst of trial, the resounding answer to that is yes. And all you've got to do is look at the book of Acts. For example, start there in Acts 5, verse 40, where Peter and John had been brought before the Jewish council and they had nothing to hold them on, but they let them go. Before they let them go, they beat them physically. And then it says in verse 41 that as Peter and John left their company, they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. And this, I think this, this next statement encompasses the book of Acts. Notice Acts 5 verse, verse 42. It says, And they ceased not to preach and to teach Jesus both publicly and house to house. Okay, They had just been told, don't do this. We charge you not to do this. They had just been beaten for doing this and they ceased not. I think that just kind of carries through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8 verse 4, notice that there was a great persecution that arose around the stoning of Stephen there in Jerusalem. And so they ran a lot of people out of their homes and and neighborhoods. And those Christians who were run out and were scattered, they took the word of God with them just like Jesus had said to do. And they took it and they preached it and taught it everywhere. And you can pick up on this, this idea in Acts 11, verse 19 and 20, where some who had been scattered, they came to Antioch. And they came to Cyprus and to some other areas. And they brought the word. They continued to preach Jesus and to preach the word. If you jump over to Acts 14, verse 19, you see Paul now. He, is, he has become a Christian. He's out on his missionary journeys, Acts 14 and verse 19. And he's there in Lystra. 
And what do they do to him? They stoned him, left him for dead. They stoned him. Okay, just keep reading there. Keep reading. After, after verse 9, what happens? Well, Paul gets up. He goes on into Derby, the next city, and he just continues to preach. Okay. That is, whatever obstacle, whatever challenge, they, it's like those old pinball machines where the ball goes and just bounces around on the obstacles until it finally comes back down to where uh, it has started. This is what the early disciples did. Whatever they, they ran into, whatever circumstance, whatever challenge, whatever, whatever, whichever way that took them, they just, they, they just kept teaching the Word. Uh, they did in Acts chapter 15, you remember some of the early church leaders, they got together to rediscuss, you know, the new law and the old law and circumcision. But after they got done with that, if you go on down to the latter part of Acts 15, you see, well, Barnabas took John Mark and went into Cyprus, but, but Paul and Silas, they went a different direction. But they didn't stop preaching. They went a different direction. They went into to Cilicia and Syria and other places. They just kept right on. You go into Acts 16... Paul and Silas find themselves in the area of Philippi. And, of course, you remember they were beaten. They were beaten with many blows. And they were cast into an inner prison. But we find them, Acts 16, 25, and they're singing praises to God. They are. Finally, God lets them out of that situation. So what do they do? Acts 17, they go on into Thessalonica. They get run out of Thessalonica. So they go on into Berea and they teach the word there. That's the idea of the book of Acts. And it is the very spirit that ought to... Uh, embrace us uh, today as well. Paul says in Philippians 1 and verse uh, 20, he says, uh, Christ is going to be magnified in my body, whether that means my life or my death. Okay? That, that, that's the spirit we're talking about. That's the spirit. Uh, it reminds us a lot of Jesus on the cross as, uh, as, as he led that penitent thief uh, to to salvation, yeah. Jesus is continuing, uh, even at, at, at the point of death, to teach, to teach. We find in Philippians four twenty three that there were saints that came from Caesar's household. How did that happen? How did it happen that saints came from Caesar's household? Uh, it's a good bet that uh, when Paul was put in prison in Rome, that uh, he didn't keep his mouth shut about the gospel of Jesus. Christ. Now that, that's the spirit. They, they didn't stop. They didn't stop. I'm sure you know and you have uh, many uh, modern day examples of people who, even though they were in the midst of trials uh, and tribulations, that they just continue to spread the, the light of Jesus. And I, I believe we have had it in our midst uh, even here. I could give my own uh, personal remarks about that and, and you could too. Uh, I, I remember as we were Arrived as, as real young, green, absolutely don't know, didn't know anything then, don't know much now, but we didn't know anything then for sure. But we arrived. One of our Bible teachers at, at Faulkner University was, was Wendell Winkler, and he was just in his 50s uh, then. He had just come out of major cancer surgery uh, uh, around his head, okay, just in his 50s. And, you know, he didn't die until he was in his 70s. He didn't ever stop. I don't. I mean, he was the busiest man I ever know, and he had many health difficulties. He took me for a ride one day in his El Camino. You remember El Caminos? Okay. He had an El Camino, and so it was summertime, and he said, "Come on, we're going somewhere." So I got in the car with him, and and I noticed that that, that 
it was hot. I mean, it was July. And, and he had on long sleeves. And when he got in the car, he put on gloves. Okay. He had a skin condition to where he just could not, could not be exposed to much sun at all, especially during the summertime. But that didn't ever stop him. That's what I'm saying. You know modern day examples of that, like that um, as well. Now, here, here's a couple of lessons that we learned from this. One is there's a tendency to think that those who are actually involved in gospel work have no, nothing else going on. They have no challenges. They have no sicknesses. They have no trials. They just got an easy life, so therefore they've got this easy life so they can just easily share the gospel or be involved in different works. And, and that is the very opposite. Okay? That, that's actually the very opposite. That's, that's a fantasy land. Everybody has trials. It's just a matter of where your heart is. Okay? Everybody has trials. Now, what's the difference between the trials that somebody in the world faces and, and the trials that somebody uh, in, in Christ faces? Okay. One, one, one word, purpose. Purpose. Okay. Many of our trials of, of, of those, everybody on earth, you know, we, we, we are involved in different trials and sicknesses. And, and so what's the difference of their trials and their endurance and ours? We're serving the purpose of Jesus. That's what they did in the book of Acts. They didn't stop with the purpose of Jesus. They didn't stop ceasing to preach and teach Jesus. That, that's the difference between, difference between us and the world. And where does the joy come in? Well, as we, as we carry this out, we have the same joy as Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 calls Jesus the, the author and the finisher of our faith. Then it says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus could look through the cross and endure the cross because he knew his sacrifice would, be, would bring salvation to many, many people. And so we endure, like Jesus, we endure whatever we have to endure in order to bring more souls uh, to the Lord. Joy. All right. Next question, then, is how do these trials help us to fulfill the purpose of Jesus and the, and the expectations of God? Is there anything about these trials that can help us? Well, James says there is because he says, you know, he says the trying of your faith works endurance, patience. So let patience have its perfect work that you, you'll, be, you'll become perfect. You'll become complete and entire, lacking in nothing. So these trials, somehow, they help us. How do they help us? One word, they give us an education. They give us an education. And I want to break that down for us. Uh, in regard to trials and education, well, let's break that down to three parts. All right. First, of course, in education, there's knowledge. What, what do the trials do for our knowledge, our spiritual knowledge? What, they help us learn more, right? Uh, for example, trials help us, they help us learn more about the, the discipline of God. This is discussed over in Hebrews 12, 5 through 12, where... The writer is talking about earthly fathers and how they would discipline their children, and we were, we were part of that. And so later on, we are able to give respect and reverence to our earthly parents because we understood what they're trying to do with us. In Hebrews 12, it says, How much more respect should we give to God the Father, who is the Father of all of us in a sense? He created all of us. The Father of spirits, how much more respect should be given to Him? Now, earthly parents will make mistakes. Parents, you know this. We make mistakes. Okay? 
And when we do, we need to tell our kids, we, we made a mistake there. We didn't know the whole story there. We, we reacted too soon. Okay, we're going to make some mistakes in our discipline. But notice this, God never does. God never makes a mistake. If there's some trials in my life, then, then God can take those trials and, and build, build me. He can make me stronger through those trials. He never makes a mistake. In fact, in Hebrews 12 it says, through these trials God can make me be more holy. We can be partakers of His holiness. And then, I love this part, it says, uh, we will in our lives have peaceable fruit of righteousness. In other words, we'll be able to have more fruits of righteousness. Okay, we'll just, through these trials, God can help us learn more about His own discipline. And then, also, these trials can help us learn more about the love of God. Because Revelation 3.19, the Lord says, uh, Whom He loves, He chastens. Whom He loves, He disciplines. And so trials can help us learn more about the love of God. The devil wants us to think that when we have trials, God has stopped loving us. But it's actually the very much different. It's, very, it's practically opposite of that. Because what good parent is not going to discipline his child? All good parents are. Okay. In the same way, if we're really a child of God, then we must expect that discipline is going to come our way. It's, it's a proof of his love, not the vice versa. And then these trials, still think about knowledge and education. These trials can help us learn more about the pruning process of God that, that Jesus discusses in, in John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus said, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. Notice his statement, though. You don't want to be part of this first category. He said, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. No hope in that. If we're not bearing fruit for God, for God then he's going to take us away. That's, that's not a good picture there. But... The second part of that verse says, "He that bear, the branch that bears fruit, he's going he's to cleanse that one. He's going to prune that one so that it can bear more fruit. It can even bear much fruit. Okay. So we learn, and we also learn more about the, the foreknowledge of God. Because only God can look into the future and see what it is we might need in our lives in order to do what we need to do for Him. You remember Joseph, of course, and how he was so mistreated by his brothers, and then he was even mistreated there in Potiphar's house, but he eventually came to a pretty good position there in Egypt, but also happening in those days was this great famine, and only Egypt, through Joseph's wisdom, only Egypt was going to have food, and his brothers come there to get food, and Joseph will reveal himself to his brothers. But the statement that Joseph makes to his brothers, Genesis 50 verse 20, is very revealing. Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph uh, says to his brothers, he says, you meant it evil against me. You meant it for evil, and they did, early on. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In order to save many people alive. That's huge. That's huge. Genesis 50, verse 20, ought to be, ought to be underscored and bracketed and starred in your Bible. Okay? And, and, and let that come on down to our day today. When we have trials, it very well may be that God is bringing something along where we can help maybe be part of a situation where more people can be saved uh, from their sins. So that's the first part of this education that trials can bring. The second part of the education is attitudes. 
attitudes. The trials bring a certain attitude. Uh, for, exa- for example, trials show us that we are not the answer. That we do not have the answers. Only God has the answers. Uh, Job 6 verse 13 even says we, there's no remedy in us. Okay. You remember all the trials and situations that Job had to go through. Well, that's a fabulous statement, fabulous statement there because it's so true. Romans 5, 6 says, when we were yet weak, Christ died for us. We're weak. We have no answers. And, and the trials reinforce that uh, for us. Another thing about attitudes. Trials get us ready to obey God. In fact, there may be nothing like trials that gets us ready to obey God. Psalm 119, uh, 67 and 71 both say, that have the, the writer saying, probably David, David saying, it was good for me to be afflicted that, that I may learn more about his precepts, his word. It seems that David is saying, the more I was afflicted, the more trials I had, the more that drove me into his word. You see, it, it gets us ready uh, to obey. And then the trials, as far as attitudes are concerned, trials will make us homesick for heaven because there will always be trials. If we're not having personal trials, we'll know somebody's got trials. And it breaks our heart. It breaks your heart. It gives you, it gives you an empty feeling only if this world is all there is. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there be no resurrection, if, if there be no next world, we are of all, all men most pitif- pitiful. We're just pitiful. We're miserable. But we know there's a heaven, and it makes us homesick for heaven. That's what trials do for our attitudes. And so in the education process, the trials bring us knowledge and brings us the right attitudes, but also the third part of education is skills. What do trials do for our skills as Christians? Well, we were studying last Sunday evening about prayer in Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, trials can help us pray better. Do you want to pray better? Do you want to be more effective in your prayer life? Well, trials will send us to our knees. And we read, while Jesus is in that garden of Gethsemane, Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says that he went and prayed again and he prayed more earnestly than he had before. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been part of just one of Jesus' prayers? Well, you would, because he, there was none like him. Okay. But what about being part of this prayer where he prayed more earnestly than he had before? What a prayer that must have been. And even Jesus, through his trials, grew deeper in prayer. So it can make us more skillful in praying. And it can make us more skillful in being able to determine what is truly valuable and what is not. When trials come into our lives, we automatically begin to set different priorities if we have such a heart to do so. We read about Moses in Hebrews 11, and it says this about Moses, that that he chose rather, notice his choosing here, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Okay. Moses had some troubles. Right? And they, those troubles helped him to distinguish, you know, what is, what is right here? What, what, what is most valuable? What is eternal? And so he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy all the pleasures of sin for a season. And then it also says that he esteemed 
the riches of Christ, the reproaches of Christ, I should say. He esteemed the reproaches of Christ of greater riches than all the tre- treasures in Egypt. Now, now the Pharaohs had all the treasures in those world, in that, in that, in that day, in that, in that world. Moses was right in the midst of all those treasures. But he was able to stand back and, and distinguish the, the fact that staying with God's plan was more important than all these treasures that he could have had. So that's what trials do for us. They, they help us to have skill. It takes skill to set priorities and courage to keep those priorities uh, in place. And then, as far as skill goes, there's nothing like experience. And when we have trials, that puts us in a very good position to help other people who are having similar trials. And Paul mentions this in, in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse uh, 4. He, he, he just spells it out directly. He says, uh, God has comforted us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others in their afflictions. Okay. And so that experience, you, you, you just, there's no substitute uh, for experience. You, you remember when, when uh, David was convincing uh, King Saul that he could, go, he could go against Goliath. And um, they, you know, they, they said, you want to take this, this armor? No. But he convinced them by, by his experience. He said, he said you know, I, I've been keeping my father's sheep. And every so often a, a lion or a bear will come along and, and grab one of them. And, and basically, with hand-to-hand combat, I just take those animals down and, and retrieve the sheep back. And then he goes on to say to Saul, he says, The God that delivered me from the paw of the bear and the lion, that same God will deliver me uh, out of this, of this giant. And he, actually, the giant will be delivered into our hands. There are three big parts of education. Knowledge, attitude, and skills. And the trials of life can help us gain in our education. Very much so. Very much so. And so count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. And hopefully by noticing God's expectations of all of us, and how that he expects us to continue in his, in his devotion and his purpose, even in the midst of trials, just as they did in those early days. And then to, on top of that, rediscover that the trials can actually enhance our education. And that perhaps we can do what James has commanded us to do. Count it all joy, my brethren. Nobody said it was going to be easy. Nobody said that we were going to be successful every time there's a trial. But we know this to be true. We know that God is a testing God. He tests us. We were noticing with the little ones this morning right there in the Garden of Eden that He put a test before Adam. Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat. But of this tree right here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of that. No, that's a test. That's a test. God tests us every day. He's testing us right now. And it, it is in order to prove our faith and to make us stronger.
Can you think of anyone who has ever lived on earth who would not need trials in order to grow? Does Jesus come to your mind? We all understand, and I think we'd all confess, yes, Lord, I need whatever you need to throw at me because I'm often weak. Okay. But Jesus, he lived the perfect life. But notice, even he, Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9, even he learned through suffering. Notice what it says there, Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. We must follow his steps. And just as Jesus learned through suffering, so it would behoove us of all people to also learn as well and to walk in his steps and count it all joy. If we can assist you with gospel obedience this day, then please allow us to do so. You know, Jesus himself uh, teaches that we must obey to have uh, salvation. He says in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. So we must obey. To receive forgiveness of sins, remember Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Do you need to come home uh, today? Uh, please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing together.